fire broke out Sunday morning with 160 aboard. While the cause is under investigation, the Navy claims it began in the vehicle cargo hold, several floors below the flight deck. As pressure and heat built up, an explosion occurred around 11 a.m., injuring several dozen sailors and civilians. The ship's fire suppression system inoperable while in dock. A worst-case scenario to this Navy vet. It's like it's completely dark. It's filled with smoke. As you can see, the amount of smoke is it's spewing out from the actual side of the ships and all that. The hallways are exactly like that. So is it still burning as of this moment, as we come up on 24 hours of this? I haven't looked, but it was as of last night. Yeah. Yeah, it's a horrendous task putting out the fire, apparently. They're pumping amazing amounts of water yeah. you know, into the ship and onto the ship. Our, and the buddy, the... our buddy Dave, who lives on a boat, can see it from his boat. Wow. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's Do they crazy. suspect foul play? I haven't heard that yet. I have not either. I'm okay. not sure if you did, you'd announce it. The Navy has said it's a uh, Class 1 uh, fire uh, start or whatever. It's, it's just papers and oily rags or whatever. It's your classic garage fire. That's what they're saying. Could be the Chinese, could be Putin, or it could be oily rags. It's crazy, though. I mean, there's billions of dollars worth of boat there. I mean, that'd be a bad thing. It's already uh, pretty uh, screwed up. Um, so I was just going through the Twitter feed here, coming across things. I don't know this person, Eric Nelson. I liked his tweet, so I clicked on his profile. He's the editorial director for Broadside Books and executive editor at Harper and Libertarian Quaker and the author of Oh, the Meetings You'll Go To, (laughs) which is a funny name for a book. It's a play on the Dr. Seuss classic. But he tweeted, as a book editor, I have to imagine what the world will be like when the books come out in six to 18 months. That makes sense. you got to predict what people will be into. Mm-hmm. What will be the hot topics? Here's what I'm planning my list around. 100,000 more deaths, limited vaccine access, global recession, massive unrest over the 2020 election winners. I think that's probably all mostly pretty accurate. I hope not. When you lay it out like that, it's... Uh, Come on. 2021 is going to be just an absolute sleigh ride. It's going to be wonderful. Economy is going to be great. We'll all realize, hey, we're in this together. We ought to agree with each other. Let's focus on what brings us together, not what sets us apart. The fact that we're unemployed and have COVID, that brings us together. Joe Biden wins and hires Donald Trump as a secretary of state to continue his great work with China. Lion, lying down with the lamb, etc. Cats and dogs. Let me go further with what he's predicting. This is just one man's opinion, but state and school budgets hemorrhaging. Stock uh, panic when massive stimulus doesn't do enough. More Americans turn to alternative news sources. Not much police reform or aid for missed rent payment. Colleges folding. College towns feeling like steel towns. That's a pretty good one. Wow. Yeah. That wow. could be the future. It could be. And I'm going to have ap- to start distilling my own whiskey. <laughs> and appropriately so. I, you know, I feel for any town that would suffer the repercussions of that, but uh, that whole thing needs to come crashing down. Yes, yes, it does. And actually, on that uh, note, where is that? It's really, really good. Maybe it's over here. I live in a town where they built new dorms for the major university that in USA Today they were featured as like five star hotels. Why? Why would you do that? Mm -hmm. Why would you give your 20 year old a six figure vacation? Staying in a five-star hotel. Why would you do that? 
Nobody does that. Because nobody, you need a college degree to get ahead, Nobody decides when they're 20, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to borrow a whole bunch of money. I'm going to go hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt so that I can just party all the time and live in a really nice place. And I'll pay it off the rest of my life. Nobody would think that was a good deal. Mm-hmm. Right? This is a great piece from... Uh, it's a, it's a um, it's an economic website, an investment website. Uh, Brian Westbury is the chief economist. Robert Stein's the deputy chief economist, and they wrote this piece. I want to share some of it with you. It's so good. It's time to think about something other than COVID, the statues, the election, defunding the police. <clears throat> How about higher education, specifically student loans and grants? Just like the bipartisan efforts to make housing more affordable, these programs were well-intentioned. But also, like the housing market, they have led to serious problems. The U.S. has about $1.5 trillion in student debt outstanding, more than subprime mortgage loans in 07. We're not worried these loans will cause a collapse in the economy, but they are a major burden that must be dealt with at some point. Uh, Yeah, I'll go ahead and read this part. The debate about... Student loans isn't easy. One side argues that if young adults are having trouble paying, they should have known better, gone to different college, taken classes that taught more marketable skills, or maybe they shouldn't have gone to college at all. The other side says that's why we need to forgive these loans. It's not the student's fault. They were told a college degree is the key to the American dream. Okay, I think they do a pretty good job of stating, you know, the positions we've heard. What both sides are missing is that student loans have become a jobs and wage subsidy program for college professors and administrators. They, not the students, are the primary beneficiaries. The government is using young adults to deliver money to the intellectual class, much of whom is utterly lacking in marketable skills and deeply hostile toward Western civilization in general and free market capitalism in particular. That's fantastic. Isn't that great? Oh, boy. A large portion of the revenue that funds academic salaries comes from the government. According to the GDP accounts, the value of higher education services totaled $196 billion in 2019. $196 $196 billion. Meanwhile, housing and meals at schools totaled $57 billion. For comparison, federal loans and grants totaled $134 billion in 2018-19 school year, with an additional $13 billion in state grants. And these figures exclude direct spending sent to colleges themselves. In other words, a substantial part of college funding is supported by government spending. Imagine if Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac announced a program to buy all the mortgages that banks made to 18-year-olds who bought homes with no money down. Obviously, that policy would lead to disaster and excessive homeownership among teenagers who would have little idea of the long-term consequences. Well, that's what's happened with colleges, except a mortgage has a home collateralization, uh, collateralizing the loan. You can't foreclose on a degree in poetry. Unfortunately, <laughs> both sides of the political spectrum would keep the gravy train for privileged academics intact, no matter how absurd, useless, or harmful the education they provide, and no matter how much these institutions impinge on the free speech of their students. And then they suggest ways to end the windfall for the intellectual class and make them put some skin in the game. First, just like new banking rules that were passed after the subprime crisis, Let's require 50% clawbacks of federal loan money from a college if the, its students don't repay. If they default, students will be on the hook for 50% themselves. And if a college thinks a defaulting former student could repay the full amount, let the college go after the student for the other 50%. Second, because colleges have abused their charitable status and engaged in political activity, they should no longer be tax-exempt. Third, wealthy colleges with massive endowments should be taxed like the hedge funds that they are. The road to hell is paved with good intentions. It's time policymakers take a different route on higher education. I think that's great. 
Let me see if we can post that at armstrongandgetty.com. I think you should be able to foreclose on a poetry degree. Absolutely. <laughs> well, and we've talked about this for a long time. There is enormous government money flowing into education, which causes inflation. It always does. It has to. You know, I don't, maybe this is the wrong one to pick. And then I, all the money flows to the administrators and, and the professors. I learn so much online. Podcasts, YouTube videos, that sort of stuff. I find it impossible that you couldn't get everything you need to know about poetry off of YouTube. Everything. I mean, there are lectures from the greatest minds in existence. Well, hours are- and hours and hours of it. Sure, there are online academies, Khan Academy, the uh, what's the one Green runs, uh, whatever, it doesn't matter, but it's great. Oh, yeah, that's a more formal way of going about it, which is fine for my argument, but mm-hmm. I'm just talking about, you're just sitting there with your laptop open at the Starbucks. There sure. is so much information available on just about anything, really, but specifically like, god dang it, poetry or literature or something like that? You, I was watching a lecture the other day about what? I don't know, Egyptian history or something like that from some MIT professor. It's right there on YouTube. There's mm-hmm. tons of them. Learn as much as you want. Why Are you going to write them a check for $40,000? No, that's the point. <laughs> Did you smash that like button? Why, why would you write them a check for $40,000? Why would your parents write them a check? Or why would you go in debt for $40,000? That information is available. I know. I feel like the whole university thing is uh, is looking around saying, when, are this, when are, is everybody going to wake up to this? There are exceptions. How can we possibly be getting away with this scam? I have a college professor buddy who's really against whenever I say this sort of stuff because he was in the sciences and talks about labs and on hand, uh, yeah. hands on. I get that. But, like, so many of the degrees that are popular right now. Your grievance study oh stupidity. God, there's an overwhelming amount of information that's just right there on your phone if you want to watch the videos. Yeah, yeah. And to the extent that there's not, there will be. It's like if you want to know about a band, your buddy or your friend or your kid or whatever recommends a band. All the music services, the good ones, have uh, your, uh, your uh, what do they call it, the, uh, the essentials. And then next steps. And then you can go into the albums and all. You can learn everything you need to know. You don't need to hire me for $5,000 to tell you about the Rolling Stones. It's ridiculous. That's a pretty good example right there. And, and it could easily be extended to virtually anything. Political science, you know, what I studied, or economics, or accounting, or whatever. And then if there's a test at the end, fine. Super. Or, or even if there's a guy who for $500 guides you through the online stuff. $500 seems reasonable. Send you a couple of quizzes, that sort of thing, and then you take the test. That would work fine. Sure it would. Of course it would. That's why the colleges have got to be looking around thinking, when? how long can this scam possibly continue? When will they wake up to it? Thank God the politicians are still piping us billions of dollars in, in taxpayer money. We're not too many days away from the NBA season starting. Uh, one former NBA player weighing in on some of the problems with the bubble idea. Mm-hmm. That's among other things we got coming up on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. Uh, we are going to talk NBA a little bit just because um, uh, one player stepped outside the bubble to get a little food from Uber Eats or whatever and said, hey, you can't do that. That's That goes against the whole bubble idea. And then there's some belief that 
some of these players are going to find a way to meet their uh, their uh, their girlfriends. Uh, <laughs> Very liberal use of that word. Exactly. <laughs> the woman they're courting. Exactly. Um, they're b- intended. They're betrothed. <laughs> exactly. <clears throat> but anyway, we'll talk more about that later. Something has broken New York Times-wise. Barry Weiss, she is a she. Lady love. Uh, <laughs> a different Barry? person. Oh. That's Barry White. Uh, is has resigned from the New York Times. We've talked about Barry on a, a couple of occasions through uh, recent years. She is a, uh, a honest, courageous person who believes in the free exchange of ideas. And she has posted her resignation letter at her own website. It is with sadness that I write to tell you that I'm resigning from the New York Times. I'll bet they're happy about it. I joined the paper with gratitude and optimism three years ago. I was hired with the goal of bringing in voices that would not otherwise appear in your pages. First-time writers, centrists, conservatives, and others who would not naturally think of the Times as their home. The reason for this effort was clear. I remember this big discussion in 2016. I'm sorry, departing. Uh, The paper's failure to anticipate the outcome of the 2016 election meant that it didn't have a firm grasp of the country it covers. Ah, yeah. Dean Baquet and others, or Baquet, however you pronounce it, have admitted as much on various occasions. The priority and opinion was to help redress that critical shortcoming. Then she talks about how honored she was to be part of that um, and mentions some of the the fine folks she brought to the pages of the newspaper, um, and she was proud to have done it. But the lessons that ought to have followed the election, lessons about the importance of understanding other Americans, the necessity of resisting tribalism, and the centrality of the free exchange of ideas to a democratic society have not been learned. Instead, a new consensus has emerged in the press, but perhaps especially at this paper, that truth isn't a process of collective discovery, but an orthodoxy already known to an enlightened few whose job is to inform everyone else. Wow! That's good stuff. Twitter is not on the masthead of the New York Times, but Twitter has become its ultimate editor. As the ethics and mores of that platform have become those of the paper, the paper itself has increasingly become a kind of performance space. Stories are chosen and told in a way that satisfy the narrowest of audiences, rather than to allow a curious public to read about the world, then draw their own conclusions. I was always taught that journalists were charged with writing the first rough draft of history. Now history itself is one more ephemeral thing molded to fit the needs of a predetermined narrative. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of people at the New York Times, if they were going to be you know, honestly open about it, the people that are still there would say, yeah, duh. That is what we are on purpose. Yeah. Times have changed. This is what we are now. Get. Right. Listen, Boomer. <laughs> listen to this next few sentences, and keep in mind, she's talking about her colleagues, not people on Twitter, not passersby on the street, her colleagues. My own forays into wrong think, which is a term out of Orwell, have made me the subject of constant bullying by colleagues who disagree with my views. They've called me a Nazi and a racist. I've learned to brush off comments about how I'm writing about the Jews again. Several colleagues perceived to be friendly with me were badgered by coworkers. So anybody who's nice to her gets bullied. My work and my character are openly demeaned on company-wide Slack channels where masthead editors regularly weigh in. Uh, Slack channel is like a company text chain. It's a group text sort of thing. Yeah, private message board thing. Yeah. There are some coworkers insist I need to be rooted out if this company is to be a truly inclusive one. Oh, my God. The irony police are are even now equipping themselves. Uh, while others root out the person who's trying to bring in different views 
to prove you're inclusive. Yeah, that's mental illness territory. While others post axe emojis next to my name, still other New York Times employees publicly smear me as a liar and a bigot on Twitter with no fear that harassing me will be met with appropriate action. They never are. There are terms for all of this, unlawful discrimination, hostile work environment, and constructive discharge. I'm no legal expert, but I know that this is wrong. I do not understand how you have allowed this kind of behavior to go on inside your company in full view of the paper's entire staff and the public. And I certainly can't square how you and other Times leaders have stood by while simultaneously praising me in private for my courage. Showing up for work as a centrist at an American newspaper should not require bravery. You know, and she goes on for quite a way. It is one of the finest verbal spankings I have ever seen. I I hope she, you know, lands somewhere or creates something where she gets, you know, to continue to to to, to have a role. But it, it sounds to me it, it's kind of like an old AM radio disc jockey saying, we used to play hits every day and people love that hit music on AM radio. And now all people care about is talking and no more hits on the radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah, times have changed. People yeah. have moved on. You know, I go would, ahead and leave. I would agree with that. Yeah, that's what the young f- f- Marxists yeah, are saying. Yeah. Uh, from my point of view, though. An independent thinking newspaper with a variety of opinions is an incredibly important thing. AM hit radio, not so much. (laughs) The Armstrong and Getty Show. And for the guys who are single in particular, when they're in a bubble, here's how it's going to start. At first, it's going to be DMs going wrong on IG. Then it's going to be bad Twitter posts and pictures that we thought were going to somebody that became public. And then it's going to be the guest list. You get a chance to invite three people, says. And I'm telling you, you look down at some of the people that everybody's going to be inviting. It's going to be like, oh, that's my manicurist. That's what she's here to do. She's on my family and friends list. That's a uh, former NBA star, Jalen Rose, explaining how that things are going to work in the bubble because you're allowed to have three guests come in. Uh, apparently, in three or four weeks, they have a window of you can invite guests in. And remember when yesterday I told you that some NBA player was already busted for for sliding into the DMs of some Instagram model or whatever? It was that mm. he was planning ahead for three weeks in the future when ah. they can invite people in. And somebody with the vid and probably chlamydia in the clap are going to come <laughs> oh, into the bubble. Boy. I mean, no, there's cares well, for those. That's a triple-double, isn't it? <laughs> <A> triple-double. <laughs> Hilarious. Wow. Okay. Well, I, I, and I have sources uh, close to the game of baseball who say everybody is walking around mumbling to each other. This uh, this whole uh, thing is kind of effed up, isn't it? And, and you know, a, uh, a coach says to a player, or a player says to a coach, do you think this is going to work? Coach says, I don't know. Player <laughs> says, yeah, we're saying the same thing over here. And the umps are thinking, I don't think this is going to work. Is it, is it but as, they're trying. I'm not being cynical. Well, and is it as simple as, as a business? If you get 10 games into the baseball season before you count it off, that's millions of dollars. Yeah, but they're, they're paying out, too. They're paying salaries again now. So I don't know. I have no idea how it's going to end. I, I just know I'm not terribly optimistic. So Barry Weiss, uh, who I was calling Barry, sorry, Barry, um, the former editor of the New York Times just resigned and has published her resignation letter for the world, and it is scathing. If you're just tuning in, grab the prior segment, the previous segment uh, at 
armstrongandgetty.com, the on-demand podcast. But Bari writes, op-eds that would have easily been published just two years ago would now get an editor or a writer in serious trouble, if not fired. Well, we know that's true. We see that, saw that a couple of weeks ago with Tom Cotton's piece. If a piece is perceived as likely to inspire backlash internally or on social media, the editor or writer avoids pitching it. If she feels strongly enough to suggest it, she's quickly steered to safer ground. So this has got to be an ideology that's run in the newsroom. It can't be a, a business decision. Right. Right, and and it is it's uh, intellectual terrorism too, as she gets to in a minute. It's a small smallish group of people, but they have everybody terrified. It took the paper two days and two jobs to say that the Tom Cotton op-ed fell short of our standards. In quotes, we attached an editor's note on a travel story about Jaffa, uh, Israel, shortly after it was published because it failed to touch on important aspects of Jaffa's makeup and its history. But there is still none appended to Cheryl Strayed's fawning interview with the writer Alice Walker, a proud anti-Semite who believes in a lizard Illuminati. The paper of record is more and more the record of those living in a distant galaxy or one whose concerns are profoundly removed from the lives of most people. This is a galaxy in which, to choose a few recent examples, the Soviet space program is lauded for its diversity. The doxing of teenagers, children, in the name of justice, is condoned. And the worst caste systems in human history includes the United States along Nazi Germany, yeah, alongside me- Nazi Germany. We mentioned all of those. Get the podcast if you don't hear every moment of the show, for crying out loud. Armstrongandgetty.com. Uh, this is making me feel bad about the fact that I'm paying them monthly to be a subscriber. I know. I know. I don't know. I, can we do that anymore? It seems terrible. Even now, I'm confident that most people at the Times do not hold these views, yet they are cowed by those who do. Why? Perhaps they believe the ultimate goal is righteous. Perhaps because they believe that they will be granted protection if they nod along as the coin of our realm language is degraded in service to the ever-shifting laundry list of right causes. Well, that's what I was talking about yesterday. That They've done political studies on this. For a revolution, you only need 15% committed people. Mm-hmm. Then you get like 30% others who kind of agree, but... Not as much as you, but they're not going to say anything. Or they you, might think you're crazy, but they'll you stay quiet. Then you, then you got a crowd that doesn't agree at all, but they're scared. Right. And you end up way over 50%. That sounds like what's happening at the New York Times. And she mentions perhaps, perhaps because there are millions of unemployed people in this country and they feel lucky to have a job in a contracting industry. They keep their mouths shut. Yep. Yep. Uh, or perhaps it is because they know that nowadays standing up for principle at the paper does not win plaudits. It puts a target on your back. Too wise to post on Slack, they write to me privately about the new McCarthyism that has taken root at the paper of record. Boy, the left eating its own is is an interesting development. Yeah, it's... uh... I suppose if you want to think long term, they're headed toward... I mean, they're already much more irrelevant than they think. They're more irrelevant than I realized up until a couple of weeks ago. Um... The New York Times just isn't as important as they used to be. Not even close. They're, they're, they're not even close. They used to be able to move markets, move opinions around the world. Get people elected or booted out of office, yeah. Well, a year from now... I, I guess I should be glad about that. Right. And a year from now, when the Barry Weisses have been run out, who are they going to be relevant then to, to now? Then, you know, the super hipster Twitter fringe. Okay, good luck with that. Yeah, yeah. There have been some arguments being made about this. A lot of these platforms, people are, uh, there's a whole book about it by Yuval Levin 
about uh, we've you know platforms are being destroyed. All these people are are standing on these platforms that were built over years, and they've got a big voice, but they're working in such a way that they're destroying the platforms. And mm-hmm. when the platforms go away, that you didn't build, somebody else built, you won't have a voice anymore. The New York Times will just be another Twitter, just another Twitter feed that yep. only people who are into that pay attention to. Yeah, and I'm hoping that the self corrosion, if you will, and these as these people poison their own, you know, platforms and institutions. I'm hoping it, it goes fairly quickly, and I'm hoping they don't succeed in terrorizing too many people or changing too much before they're uh, inevitably, you know, washed away with their own poison. He used the example of um, also the uh, he was using the NFL, but the NBA would be perfect. NBA built over many, many years of very carefully trying to, you know, be a certain thing so people would have, you know, pay attention to it, have respect for it. Mm-hmm. Now you're you're standing on that platform that somebody else built, and you're going to wear defund the police on the back of your jersey, yeah. and you're going to destroy that platform, and then nobody will care anymore. Mm-hmm. So you've destroyed the platform that gave you a voice in the first place. Yeah. This is happening in all kinds of different ways. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. Like I say, though, I, you know, these people are truly dangerous. They echo the arguments of every totalitarian in history about it. we're not we're not silencing uh, 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 your speech. We're just silencing counter revolutionaries. We're all in this together. We can't have people fighting against the revolution, so we'll put them in prison. But that's the only people we'll put in prison. I mean, they're just they're so they're almost boring. The arguments of the militant left because they're so old. And they're used by every totalitarian in history. Uh, but that doesn't make them less dangerous because people don't study history, so they don't know. I mean, youngsters hear these these arguments about, uh, we're going to get you free medical care and free college and the rest of it. Got a great email from a Cuban immigrant the other day. Said, this is exactly what Castro said. No, I'm not saying that, that you know, the, the jackasses in the streets of Seattle and in L.A. or whoever are... are, are necessarily dedicated communists but it's going to end in a similar way it always does any government that has the power to give you everything you want has the power to take away everything you have same old same old the problem with this you know if you replace the new york times with something that is what the new york times used to be um a relatively straight newspaper with a liberal opinion page mm mm-hmm. mhm uh, if great journalism, rigorous journalism, but but it the New York Times being destroyed, it's not going to be replaced by that. Nope. And coming be up with replaced an, by BuzzFeed, right? All these different kind of Twitter things, and like Sean said, Barry Weiss will be able to she'll be able to have a website and a Twitter account, and she'll be okay on her own. But it's still not the New York Times when they lose influence; they won't have foreign correspondents around the world and experts and all these different things. You know, really digging deep on stories that just is going to go away. It's going to be all opinion and alternative news sources with no budget for yeah. real reporting. Well, when you're angry, uh, often people will say, go blank yourself. Well, the New York Times is blanking itself. Interesting. How long am I a subscriber to the New York Times? I gotta, I'm got. i going to cancel it during the commercials right now. Really? Screw them. Wow, yeah, I almost never look at it anymore. I re- Even I re- with her, I, I don't feel that this is a majority opinion there. It's just they're being held hostage by the the extreme views at the place. Uh, well, yeah. Uh, number one, I, I don't want to be party to even that. And number two, um, and anybody who listens to this show knows, some of us are too stubborn to go along with that S anyway. And I would appreciate a little more courage out of the other people at the New York Times. Yeah, I still read it every day, and I... 
I really like the Sunday book section so much. I just can't imagine giving it up. But. I don't cotton a book learning. Books. But I'm but I'm I'm but I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer to I I got I just I can't be involved in this anymore. Oh, that's terrible. Man, that's things change. Ter- things change. I know, you know, it's easy for me to say cuz I'm not as big a fan as you are. Because, uh, again, I, I don't cotton the book learning. But this is anything I can't read in a comic book is too complicated. This is a bad development. No, I don't. I don't think I think it's too flip. It's too fatuous to say the times. I know I'm change. overweight. You don't have to call me fatuous. <laughs> fatuous. Say it again. Fatuous. To just say times change because uh, losing a well-respected news organization or how about all of them? All of them is is not a minor thing. Oh, I know it isn't. I know it isn't. Now a lot of you hated the New York Times so much you're just happy to see it go away completely. I get that. But they used to they used to be news. Oh yeah. I mean, you would get great global reporting every single day. It was invaluable. And the editorial page leaned left. And so the reporters were kind of lefties in the same way as that all reporters are usually lefties. But it's moved so much in just a couple of months. Well, as she said, she gave a couple examples that are within the last like 90 days. And an editorial that two years ago would have gotten you praise now gets you fired. That headline that they did and the whole story they did on Trump's speech at Mount Rushmore was an entirely an opinion piece they put on the front page as if it were the news. Yeah. And it was insupportable and indefensible as opinion. It was incredibly dishonest. That's something. Yeah. And so one of their star people leaves. No. Times change. Like you said, times change. You're dead to me. When you were being fatuous. You're dead to me. Joe's out. During commercials, he's stopping his subscription. Go to hell, New York Times, or are we already there? (laughs) Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Ooh, the new Ford Bronco. Take a look at it up there. That's a cool-looking vehicle. I might have me one of those. Wait a minute. I might have me one of those. Wait a damn minute. Chevy blew it with the new Blazer. The new Blazer, it's uh, terrible, unless you want a minivan, which is fine. Minivan's a friend, but it's a minivan. It's not a cool... The new Ford Bronco looks like the Ford Bronco from, like, 1980. Why am I not in the woods going over logs right now? (laughs) In your Ford Bronco. Yeah, look at that. Look over the rocks. Do you think that's a most terrain vehicle? No. No, that's all terrain. (laughs) All damn terrain. The majority of terrain... A former United States senator is warning that a vote in November for Joe Biden is not a vote for Biden at all. They're setting him up just to stage a 25th Amendment coup in the early days of the administration. He gets elected. His minions declare him senile. They remove him. And the vice president becomes the president. So, this is former Senator Judd Gregg, who says he's no great fan of Donald Trump. We were just talking about what it, what a Biden uh, presidency would be like. Un- not, not elected by people who are excited about Joe Biden, elected by people who don't like Donald Trump. If he wins, that's what it'll be. Yes. So, what will it be like? And, and, uh, and we're discussing, well, there'll be, the, hopefully, there will be less 
look what the president said today because he's not going to be trying mm-hmm. to you know get everybody's attention every single day but um i think the conversation of is joe biden lost it will be a constant Yes, oh, but for the half the country that doesn't like it. It'll him. be a weekend at Bernie's presidency for <laughs> so, at least the second half of it. So listen to this, though. We'll never get to the second half. Judd Gregg, who's a Republican from New Hampshire, and his conservative rankings of the various you know organizations, he's a Lisa Murkowski, Susan Collins Republican. He's very, very moderate. And he wrote a column in The Hill ripping into Trump as being erratic and narcissistic, his style of leadership. He says, look, and and he agrees with you guys, there's not a giant coalition of people voting for Biden. So when though the people around Biden say you really can't handle the job, he's not coherent, and Biden himself says, what, there's corn pop here? <laughs> um, who is going to stand up against that? He walks out in just a diaper. Who <laughs> Who is going to be the, the mobs in the street saying, no, no? What, moderate Democrats? That's what, true. What's the point of his argument where I'm supposed to start getting concerned about something? Yeah, yeah, that, that, that's inter- that is interesting with him being unenthusiastically elected. Yeah. If you tried to replace Trump with Pence, people would go crazy that voted for Trump. You try to replace Obama with Biden. Yeah, fine. Um, pe- whatever. People would yeah. have gone crazy. Oh, the Obama for Biden, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. people would say, no, I voted for Obama. Right. You replace Biden with his vice president? Nah, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Sweet. So if the Veep and the majority of the cabinet determine him unfit, the vice president can take take over, but that's temporary. If Biden were to contest that, the matter would go to the new Congress for a vote, where not only does Biden continue to have plenty of loyal allies, especially in the Senate, but where both parties would need to cooperate. And uh, Red State notes there's no incentive for the GOP to assist uh, to help the Democrats' self-destruction. If anything, Republicans should want Sleepy Joe to serve out his full term in the ble- Okay. So people are saying, yeah, his his theory might get to the first step, but there's no way the full Senate approves it. I don't, I don't, I don't anticipate that happening. But I do think from day one it'll be, hey, did you hear what he said the other day? Do you think he's completely lost it? And half the country will be on the he's senile train mm. the weekend at Bernie's presidency. Yep. <laughs> Final thoughts with A and G. Yeah. And God, with him, no chance of him running for a second term. We'll be right into the next presidential election. Both parties wide open, right? Yeah, if he bat. runs for a second term, it will be weekend at Bernie's. Okay? Like, actually. Yes. Yes. God rest his soul. Like a corpse with a broomstick in his jacket. That's what I'm saying. Okay, here's your host, Joe Getty. Let's get final thoughts from everybody. Michelangelo pressing the buttons. Fire away, Michael. Yeah, I liked our tech interview today and the advice that he gave the audience about when you sign up for apps, use a fake name. So from now on, my fake name is Jack Armstrong. Hey, hey, wait a second! <laughs> Uh, Positive Sean is our producer. Final thoughts, Sean? Yeah, yeah, kids, Weekend at Bernie's was a movie from the 80s where uh, a couple young people were partying at an old guy's house and the old guy died. And instead of stopping the party, they just kind of put sunglasses on him and and, and trounced him around the party so, you know, the fun wouldn't stop. It sounds bad, but it's better than it sounds. (laughs) Slightly. Jack, a final thought for uh, the folks? It does. If you lay it out, it sounds fairly macabre. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it is. Um, they made a sequel where the guy was still dead and apparently in in fine enough form. Yeah, yeah, I don't understand that. Yeah, oh, good. I want I want to <laughs> hear from more teachers. Do you want to go back or not? I mean, you can be honest if you say, "Look, I'm I love being a teacher, but I honestly don't want to go back with those kids there." 
I'd like to hear it. Text line 415-295-KFTC. My final thought is crib from Barry Weiss, who cribs from Adolf Oaks, who described in 1896 what the New York Times ought to be, what the editorials ought to be. To make the columns of the New York Times a forum for the consideration of all questions of public importance, and to that end, to invite intelligent discussion from all shades of opinion. Oak's idea is the best I've encountered, but that's over, she says, essentially. And by the way, we've gotten quite a few texts from teachers who do want kids back in the classroom. Not a single one from a teacher who says, I don't want to do it, I'm not doing it. Not yet, anyway. Mm. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people who thank so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. All of the on-demand podcasts are there. The XL podcasts, all of it. We've got some great swag you might want to uh, buy. A nice t-shirt or something. See you tomorrow. God bless America. You having a good time? Okay, I, I did not say okay. that. I've sat here for over three hours and 15 minutes. <laughs> That sucks. If you wish to leave, you may. Let me just say how very, very dismaying and disappointing. Not uh, good. And just change the channel from this mesmerizing horror show. We'll be better tomorrow than we were today. Then we heard the words. It's over for me. Adios, mofo. Okay, so we're, we're, you're, we're dismissed, is that correct? Do you want to rephrase uh, what you're doing? I mean, it's, uh, I mean, I, 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 anyway. Armstrong and Getty.